My son Tommy is learning to walk right now. He can take a few steps, but what he really likes to do is scoot along furniture and walls. And while I've been watching him learn to walk and working on my new course, Obscure No More, I've realized there is a connection. And in this episode, you're gonna learn how to go from crawling to running with your book promotion, one baby step at a time. I'm Thomas Sumstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. And when Tommy was a tiny baby, we would put him on the ground and he would stay there. (laughs) And his sister, who was walking and crawling at that time, would walk all around him because he was stuck. And when he was trying to crawl, he tried a lot of things that didn't work. Uh, One technique he tried quite a bit was what I called the Superman. This is where he would lay on his stomach and push his arms and his legs out as far as they could go, hoping this would move him forward. Narrator. It would not move him forward. Uh, It was a lot of work uh, to learn what worked and what didn't. And he would try rocking back and forth. He would try flopping forward, rolling over, and none of these strategies worked. And let's talk about what did work and what that means for you building your platform. Because one of the things that all of these strategies did do for him was they helped him build his strength and his coordination. So let's talk about baby step number one, learn to sit. The first useful baby step is learning to sit. This develops his balance and his coordination. And sitting, in some ways, is very frustrating because you're not moving any more with sitting than you are laying on your back. But sitting is key preparation for both crawling and walking. And you can sit for a long time before crawling. And the tactics that you're about to learn in this section, you can do right away. In fact, you should do them right away, even if your book is 10 years away. It's very important to learn how to sit. So let's talk about what you must do before you can start building a platform. And the first thing is pick an author name. You can't do anything platform building wise until you know what your name is. And this seems like something that shouldn't require a lot of work, right? Your parents gave you a name, you just use that. And a lot of authors don't spend a lot of time thinking about what their name is. And if they do this, they can get into trouble. You have a lot of options, actually, when it comes to your name. And I'm going to ignore pen names for a moment. I'm just going to assume you're going to share some version of your own name. But what version do you pick? Well, there's three common strategies. There's initials and last name like C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien. There's the three names version, James Scott Bell, Robert Louis Stevenson. There's the two names version, like Thomas Umstadt's, the most common. And then, of course, there's some combination of these, like James L. Rubart or Jerry B. Jenkins. And basically, all of the strategies work except for the combo option. I don't recommend the combo option because what it ends up doing is creating multiple versions of your name that compete for rankings, and they're also confusing in other ways. So while no one leaves off the S in C.S. Lewis, he's never called C. Lewis, it's very common for someone to say James Rubart or Jerry Jenkins. They leave out the B. (laughs) They leave out the middle initial, which is really bad for finding you on Amazon in the search, bad for finding you on Google in the search, and just creates confusion and complication. Also, no one ever calls him Robert Stevenson, right? It's always Robert Louis Stevenson. The, the three names, always remembered. But mixing names and initials, I don't recommend. 
Uh, we have a bunch of episodes on picking the right name, partly because my co-host for many years was James L. Rubart, who made a lot of the mistakes. So a couple that you should check out. One is episode 69, How to Stand Out When Your Name Fits In, and episode 97, Major Mistakes You Might Be Making With Your Author Name. I spend a lot of time helping authors with damage control because they picked the wrong name or they didn't think about it. And now they've spent money and effort and branding behind one name, and now they're trying to fix it somehow. Sometimes it's easy to fix, sometimes it's hard to fix, but the best thing to do is to pick the right name ahead of time to learn how to sit, and then you don't have to worry about fixing it down the road. Uh, The second part of sitting when it comes to your platform is buyingyourname.com. It costs between $10 and $15 a year to hold on to a domain, and you don't have to build a website on it right away. And once you own your domain and you keep paying the annual fee, no one can take it from you. But if you don't own your name.com, someone else could buy it and never let it go. So this is one of those things you want to do right away. Once you decide what your name is, you want to go and buy your name. Another thing I've seen happen is authors who buy their name and then they let it expire. Other people will buy their name and hold it for ransom or use it and steal all of their reputation. Or I've even seen people set up hit sites where they set up a website on someone's name that attacks that person. If you're in a very intense political world with your writing or if you have enemies who really don't like you, uh, there is a risk of this that you can protect yourself from by owning your own name.com. And sometimes you'll do this with the picking of your name, right? You're like, oh, well, my main name, uh, which is two names, is taken, but the three-name version of my name is not taken, so I'll use that. You kind of navigate it that way. And the website that I recommend that you use is instantdomainsearch.com. This is what I use when I'm doing research for domain names. I like it because it's instant, like the name says, but it also checks to see not just if the name is unregistered, where you can register it for $15 a year, but also if it's for sale. Sometimes a domain name is for sale for a few hundred dollars, which can be totally worth buying. It's absolutely worth spending a few hundred dollars or sometimes even a few thousand dollars if you can afford it to own your name. It's like real estate and it can appreciate in value. I buy domain names and I sell domain names. I've actually made money selling domain names that I bought. I I bought a a domain name for $900 and sold it a few years later for $1,500. I didn't buy it for the purpose of selling it at a profit. I bought it for the purpose of starting business. Uh, and I decided not to start that business, and I was able to sell the domain name and get some of my money back uh, that I lost almost starting the business. So uh, we have a bunch of blog posts on domain names, and I'll have links to them in the show notes. We have one on how to buy an author domain name, another that's five uh, domain name traps, seven tools for finding the ideal domain name, does your website pass the video test, and more. And I'll have links to those in the show notes at authormedia.com slash 261. Another part of sitting when it comes to your platform building is reserving your username on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Parler, etc. You're not having to do anything. I'm not saying to be active on Facebook. I'm just saying to get your URL there. So facebook.com forward slash Thomas Umstead. This is for all the same reasons that you reserve the .com. Once you own it, you can keep it. And the benefit here is that it doesn't cost you anything to keep the name active. It's just important that you have it connected to an email address that you actively check and will always actively check. Because occasionally, these websites will be like, are you still there? We're going to delete your account if you haven't posted in five years. Uh, you know, Click here to tell us that you're still a human being or whatever. And you click it and then you get the username for another five years. There's a great tool called namecheck.com. It's name C-H-K, and you type your name 
into this website and it looks up your username on hundreds of different social networks and different websites just to give you an idea of what's available and what's not. It's not the end of the world if you can't get your name on Twitter or on Facebook or, or what have you, but if you can get it, you might as well get it now before somebody else grabs it. And I will say, it is really nice being forward slash Thomas Umstead everywhere. I'm forward slash Thomas Umstead on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Parler, all of them. <laughs> so it makes me uh, very easy to find, and it's that way because I jumped on it and I grabbed my name as quick as I could. Much to the chagrin of the other Thomas Umsteads out there, although the only other two are my dad and my son. So maybe I'll give my name to my son. I don't know. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. All right. Now let's talk about baby step number two, learning to crawl. Crawling is complicated. My son Tommy made figuring this out his full-time job. Every waking moment, he was either eating or trying to crawl. And uh, it really is, in some ways, more complicated than walking because you have to use your arms and your legs. And as my son got more coordinated, uh, he started being able to move. But at first, he was only able to move backwards. And this was particularly frustrating for him because he would often push a toy just out of his reach. And then he'd try to get to it. But in his efforts to get closer to the toy, he'd actually move farther away. Compounding it, his attention on the toy would draw the attention of my toddler, who would come over and invariably grab the toy or start playing with it herself, <laughs> much to the frustration of my poor son. Inevitably, a parent would intervene, give him the toy back, and the process would start over again. And eventually, he learned to crawl. And for him, learning to crawl was all about getting to toys that were out of reach. And for a couple of days, that was mostly what he was doing with his crawling. And then his whole paradigm shifted. And he realized that this skill of getting out of reach toys could also be used to move him from one room of the house to another room of the house. And no longer was he stuck where he was put. And he could control which room of the house he could get to. And this was a massive amount of freedom for someone who had previously had no control over his life. What's interesting about crawling is how different it is from walking. It gets you from place to place just like walking, but the muscles and the movement are very different. And one of the advantages of crawling is that it's a very safe place to fail. Falling from a crawling position is much less painful than falling from a walking position or standing position. And when it comes to your platform, you want opportunities to get your feet underneath you where failure isn't very painful. And that's what baby step two is all about. So the first part of baby step two is building a website. This is your first effort in being findable, being seen by strangers. <laughs> and uh, this is a big deal. This is a bit first time your writing is seen by people who don't know who you are. And building a website is also a really great exercise because it forces you to start talking about yourself and your brand and articulating why are you here? Why are you writing? <laughs> and uh, this is a, often the first draft of the about page is this really big intimidating thing. And once you do it, once you write that first draft of your about page, for the rest of your life you'll be tweaking that. <laughs> the year about page five years from now will not resemble the first draft that you write, but you have to write that first draft to get there. And I think it's really good for you to build your own website initially because you're going to learn so much building the website. And if you're just getting started, no one's visiting the website yet or very few people. So it's a very safe place to learn and to fail. A lot of authors feel like they have to have their website perfect before they can launch it. And it's like, that's not the right thinking. You need to think about, you need to approach this the same way my son is approaching learning to crawl. He's falling on his face a lot. He's, he's falling down a lot, but it's the only way to learn. 
And it's the authors who build their own terrible websites and then never stop improving them that build better platforms. They go farther than the authors who wait to make it perfect. That fear of you know people seeing you when you're not at your best, that fear is going to lead to failure. You've got to be willing to fall down. And learning how to requalk requires learning how to fail and how to fall and how to fall without getting hurt. And it's one of the things you learn while crawling. You learn how to catch yourself when you fall down. Your website's also where your blog will live. It's where your podcast will live. It's where people will sign up for your email newsletter. There's a reason why it's one of the first things that you need to build. You want to build your website years before your book comes out. Another advantage of building your website really early is that you can build your rankings with Google. One of the aspects that Google looks at for deciding which website ranks first is how old that website is. And so if you're building your website just six months before your book comes out, you have a really new website. You are you look like a scammer. <laughs> it's brand new. Uh, you have no chance to build a reputation. So you want to dig your well before you're thirsty. And I have a free course on how to build your own author website. It walks you through step-by-step through the whole process. You can build your own website. We have people who are very old who gone through and built their own websites. And if you go on the Facebook group for the Novel Marketing Podcast, you'll see regularly people posting, be like, I feel so empowered now that I've built my own website. I'm no longer chained. <laughs> I feel so free. It's a great feeling having your own uh, website. It's a great exercise to build your own website. And just this week, I've been thinking about some ways of making that course even better. I've outlined some improvements I want to make. I want to add a checklist for each page of the website and add a section on website security. And once you sign up for the free course on building a website, you'll get all of those improvements. And I really do work hard to keep that course up to date and really make it easy for you to build your website. The next part of learning to crawl is what I'm calling craft practice. Your platform is only as good as your writing. And the only way to get better at writing is to practice. And I recommend practicing in public. You're going to get better faster if you're willing to try putting your writing in front of real human beings. (laughs) And you will also uh, work harder if you know that a real human is going to read your writing. You can't just write in a vacuum. So for nonfiction, this means blogging. And for nonfiction authors, I recommend that they start blogging right away. Blogging not only helps you develop your craft, but also allows you to demonstrate your expertise and helps you grow following right at the beginning. And learning how to fight for attention on Google and in the blogosphere is great practice for fighting for attention on Amazon or at the bookstore. How can you get people to pay for your book if you can't get them to read your blog for free? So it's really good practice and it will lead to a better book. People who've been blogging for years and have learned the art of blogging end up being much better nonfiction writers. In fact, if you go to the nonfiction section of your bookstore, you're going to see a lot of bloggers there. They're they're starting to take over the bookshelves at the bookstore. I don't recommend blogging for most novelists, especially if your plan for blogging is to blog about how to write a novel. Nobody wants to read that. So for fiction, this means writing lots and lots of short stories. Don't be one of those authors whose first major writing project is a novel-length work. This is like expecting a toddler to run a marathon. It is a big mistake. It ends in a lot of frustration and a much weaker novel than you realize. And you're really doing your novel a disservice. I talk a lot about this in the Ten Commandments of Book Marketing, so I won't stress it too much. But I really recommend that you write short stories. If you're unpublished, the best thing you can do for your career is to put your novel aside until you've written 
and shared at least a dozen short stories. Learn how to hold a reader's attention for 7,500 words before trying to hold their interest for 75,000 words. Also, with short stories, it makes it a lot easier to get feedback and you'll get better faster as you practice different elements of writing with different short stories that you write. And if you're writing speculative fiction, fantasy, or sci-fi, it's a great world-building exercise. So it's win-win-win all the way around. Write those short stories. Another part of crawling is your email newsletter. So you've got your website. One of the things you're going to put on your website is a sign-up form for people to get on your email newsletter. And when you first start your email newsletter, you're not going to have a lot of subscribers. And that's okay. (laughs) Remember, this is the safe place for you to start putting your writing out into the world. And so what do you talk about? on your email newsletter. Well, if you're blogging, you're gonna share your blog posts. And if you're writing short stories, you're going to share your short stories. Uh, Your email newsletter is how most people are gonna get your new blog posts and your new short stories. Sure, there are other ways of delivering them, but the email is where you want to get started. And as you get better at writing, your friends and your family will start sharing your content with their friends and family. And once you get good enough, they'll do it without you having to ask them to grow your list. So some of you have shared this podcast with your friends because you think it's beneficial. Some of you haven't done that yet, and that's okay. I'm working every episode to make it better, make it more shareable, more beneficial, and more helpful. We never stop improving. And don't be in too much of a hurry to get famous at this point. While you're unknown, you have a very safe environment to fail, and your friends and family won't stop loving you if you write a boring short story or a blog post with a bunch of typos. This is your place to experiment. This is your place to find your voice. If you talk with publishing professionals, if you're planning to go uh, traditionally published, one of the things they talk a lot about is this author has a really clear voice. And the only way to get a really clear voice is to practice. You've got to practice somehow, somewhere. So why not do it on an email newsletter uh, with real people as the audience? Uh, We have a bunch of episodes and blog posts on email newsletters. I'll have links to them in the show notes. We have one on picking the right email service, one on how to build an email list before your first book comes out, one on tools to help you get more subscribers, and then one on how to grow your email list from zero to 10,000. All right, now it's time for baby step number three, learn to stand. My son Tommy takes every opportunity he can to stand. He stands in the crib, he stands in the bath, and he stands while leaning against every piece of furniture we own, and he stood against every window and every door. Everything at his level and down is covered with little toddler's handprint smudges because he's often a little grimy as a little baby because he's also teething at the same time. He loves to stand. And standing while holding on to something does two things. It helps him build his leg muscles while also training him to make those micro-movements needed to keep balance on two feet without leaning against something. In some ways, it is like putting himself through physical therapy. It's been kind of interesting watching him because he's so determined he stands every chance he gets. So how do you build your platform muscles? Well, this is where you start reaching out to strangers. So while strangers could find you in step two, you weren't really going out and seeking them. But here in baby step three, you're going to actually go out and try to find the strangers. And the most classic way of going out and finding those strangers is a technique called guesting. This is where you start writing articles, guest blog posts, submitting your short stories for publication and for contests, and being a guest on other people's podcasts. You are, in essence, leaning against someone else's platform. Their platform is the furniture that you're leaning against while you get your legs beneath you. Uh, Guesting also gives you great practice 
talking about your book and about your topic. It gives you practice talking on a microphone. And, you know, you start with small podcasts, right? You're not going to go straight to the Joe Rogan Show, the number one podcast in the world. You're going to start with small podcasts, and that's a good thing. You want to be faithful in the little places and, and be faithful in the obscure outlets before trying to go onto the big ones. Because once you get to the big leagues, you only have one chance to make it big. And I have a bunch of episodes on guesting. We have how to get booked for podcast guest interviews overview. We have how to run a podcast tour with guest Mary DeMuth and how to sound great as a podcast guest. I also have a course on how to get booked as a podcast guest. And so we have a lot of resources to help you with the podcast side of this, but it can also include blogging, article writing, etc. So look for places where you can get your writing in front of strangers. You'd be surprised at how many magazines might be interested in your piece of flash fiction. Uh, one of the things that you're going to talk about when you're on those other platforms is your reader magnet, which is another part of learning to stand. The process of making a reader magnet is a lot like making a book. You're going to be creating a cover, going through the editing process, learning how to typeset, and more. It's most of the fun of having a book, but without the risk of getting negative reviews <laughs> because you're going to be giving this away for free. People are going to download it in exchange for their email address. And, and by the way, it supercharges growth of your email newsletter. So you're on a parenting podcast. You've got a guide on how to be a good parent that you'll mention on the podcast and people will go to your website to download that guide. Or you're on a podcast about fantasy and you have a short story about the very first dragon rider in your world and people can go to your website to download that short story uh, this is called a reader magnet we have a whole episode on how to create a reader magnet and it's connecting the guest you know the craft practice from step two baby step two with the uh, walking <laughs> of baby step three uh, reader magnets are really powerful and that leads us to the other element of baby step three which is landing pages so a landing page it's a special page on your website where you promote your reader magnets, where you send people. And at first, your homepage may be your landing page because you only have one reader magnet. But after a while, you have multiple short stories that you're giving away, multiple guides that you're giving away, and you want different landing pages uh, to manage those. And I have, uh, again, an episode on how to create a landing page, and I'll have a link to, the sh <laughs> to that episode in the show notes. So a lot of these topics I'm talking about, and uh, you can go deeper if you want, uh, right here in the main feed. So that is learning to crawl. Now let's talk about baby step number four, learning to walk. <laughs> Walking is so monumental when you've never done it before. In fact, it seems almost impossible, like this magical thing. How on earth could these giant humans keep their balance with just two feet? <laughs> it's almost impossible when you're first getting started to keep your balance on four <laughs> with two, two arms and two legs. You're still falling down all the time. How do these people do it with two? And yet, once you figure it out, once you learn how to walk, it becomes second nature, and you don't even think about it. In fact, you've been walking all day, and you probably not once thought about the act of walking, about which leg you should move forward next. And releasing a book into the world can feel the same way. At first, it feels impossible, and then later, it will feel second nature. And you'll be ready for the walking part of building your platform once you have a book ready to sell, or at least a, a book available for pre-order. So all of these steps assume that you have a book that is orderable. <laughs> at this point, you're actually using your platform to sell books and not just to become more well-known and get out into um, environment. So the first aspect of learning to walk is the book launch. We've talked a lot about book launching on this podcast. 
And it's the primary walking tactic, especially if you're traditionally published. Your goal is either to sell out your first printing so your publisher moves you into the evergreen status, which is a very coveted place to be in a publishing house, or you want to hit a bestseller list, which helps get you credibility, it helps get you attention, helps get you bookings on media outlets, and ideally, you want to do both. So how do you do that? You have a strong launch. You want to have as much promotion for your book hit all at the same time. You want to have all of the floats going down the road at the same time so you have a parade and not just normal traffic. (laughs) So some episodes to help you with this. We have how to create a written book launch plan, how to launch a book in 2020, and painful book launch lessons you don't want to learn the hard way. I'll have links to each one of those episodes. And then, of course, we have our popular course, Book Launch Blueprint, which will open again uh, next year. Some people on the Facebook group are asking, uh, when is it going to launch? We don't have a launch date yet, but it's going to be in the first half of 2021. And maybe in the first quarter of 2021, we will see. Another aspect of learning to walk is advertising. You can advertise your landing page and your reader magnet if you're traditionally published as a way of growing your email list really fast. I know authors who will add, you know, several hundred subscribers a week or several hundred subscribers a month to their email list with really inexpensive advertising. And you do that for, you know, a few weeks, you do that for a year and suddenly you've got 10,000, 20,000 people on your email list. That really makes a difference when it comes to selling books. And if you're independently published, you can advertise your actual book and just sell your book directly to strangers using advertising. And you're like, how do you do that? Well, We have some episodes to help. (laughs) In fact, some Book Marketing 101 episodes. So we have Book Marketing 101, 10 advertising terms you need to know, Book Marketing 101, author advertising, and then also how to create powerful ads for authors who hate math with our special guest, Chris Fox. So those are some great episodes. We have more episodes than that on advertising, but those are the first three I would recommend. Uh, Another walking tactic is what's called the price pulse. And as you write more books, this is going to become a more common tactic. In fact, for authors who've written dozens of books, this is often how they make their living. It's with a price pulse. Uh, this is a technique where you take a book from your backlist and you put it on sale. You reduce the price for a short period of time. And when you combine this reduced price with a strong email list and with promo sites like BookBub, it can be a really great way of driving evergreen sales to the books you've already written. And let me tell you, selling books you've already written is great because you don't have to write them again. (laughs) You can keep selling the book over and over again. This is a very sustaining, it's a very fulfilling, and it's a a very profitable way of selling books that have been out for a long time. All right, we've talked about walking. Now it's time for the final baby step run. My toddler has a form of running I call a scamper. She holds her arms out wide for balance while she takes little toddler steps as quickly as she possibly can. And when we watch this on video, especially on a time lapse, it looks like she's floating across the ground. It's, It's really quite fun to watch. But right now, her likelihood of ending a scamper with a face plant is nearly 100% because running is hard. In fact, with real running, adult running, both of your feet are leaving the ground. So it's the closest that humans can get to unassisted flight. In fact, it's arguably, it is flight, or as Buzz Lightyear would say, it's falling with style. (laughs) So uh, running requires commitment. And once you start running, it's hard to stop. You can't just stop immediately unless you're playing for the NFL. And sometimes those guys can just stop and change directions really quickly. But that's a very unusual skill. Usually, if somebody's got up some speed with running, it's really hard to turn or to stop. 
And it's the same with your marketing. It's the same with your platform. Running is what you do after your book has reached bestseller status. The other thing I should say about running is it takes a lot of practice to run for more than just a short period of time. You really have to build up your endurance. No one can run a marathon without some training beforehand. The human body's natural state is not to be able to just get up and run for mile after mile after mile. But it can. In fact, it's believed that the ancient hunters, one of the ways that they would uh, hunt their game was just by chasing them. <laughs> they chase some really fast animal for hours and hours and hours, and the animal would get tired faster than the human would uh, because we can sweat and we can release heat in a much more efficient way than panting. A lot of animals, they can only run for short distances really fast. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but it makes sense. <laughs> and humans are really good at long-distance running if they train for it. And you can be really good at high-level marketing, bestseller marketing, but you have to train for it. Almost everything in this list requires training to do it well, which leads us to television. So uh, when I was watching the news the other day, I try not to watch the news, but we were curious, my wife and I, so we turned on cable news and we saw a multiple New York Times bestselling author with a TV commercial promoting his book and a big event he was hosting at the Washington Monument. And this author could afford this kind of promotion because he'd been on the New York Times bestseller list for over a year. In fact, I think he's closing in on two years of uh, total months, so around 24 months of total months on the bestseller list between his different books. I want you to hear this clearly. This year of being a bestseller came before the commercials. You can't TV your way to a bestseller status, but you can bestseller your way onto TV. <laughs> so this is one of those things that's only a technique for authors who are already up to speed. And this, it's not just commercials. It can also be TV interviews or another great way to sell books. TV show producers are looking for authors who have big followings and that if you come on the show, you bring your millions of readers with you and they get good ratings. That's what they're looking for. So you need to have a big platform to be able to get on TV. Once you've sold a million copies of your book, expect TV producers to start calling. Uh, this is why success in publishing tends to lead to more success. Once you've got that sweet aroma of success on you, everyone wants to be around you. Everyone wants uh, you to help them look more successful, and they're willing to help you be more successful in return. Uh, another aspect of running is book signing. So if you're famous, book signings can be a great way to connect with your readers. Uh, book signings are not for selling your current book. <laughs> They're not really a way of boosting sales of the book, believe it or not. People tend to bring the copy of your book they've already purchased to the book signings. Book signings are a way of building a relationship with bookstores. Right? If you just do a big signing at a bookstore and you bring in hundreds of readers into the bookstore, that bookstore is going to promote your books in the future a whole lot more, maybe that same book a whole lot more. And it's also a really good way of building a relationship with readers. If somebody has a good encounter with you at a signing table, they're much more likely to buy your next book. But you have to be able to have that crowd come see you at the bookstore, which means you need a strong email list. You need to be well-known. Book signings for somebody who's not already a bestseller can be really miserable. They're, they're the author sitting at the bookstore all by themselves, and they're not a good use of time. <laughs> and they're very discouraging, frankly. And I, I was on Facebook a few months ago, and somebody's like, what kind of marketing techniques should I do? Some of the people commenting were like, you should do a book signing. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's a terrible advice. If somebody's having to ask for marketing advice on a Facebook group. They are not ready to do a book signing. Book signings are at the TV level. This is a running technique, uh, not a getting started technique. And if you try to do the book signing too soon, 
it's only going to be a frustrating failure. But once you're big, it can be a whole lot of fun and a really great way of building a connection with your readers. Uh, and along those same lines, another running technique is social media. There's a saying in mom circles that solid food before one is just for fun. Well, whatever moms say that, they obviously have not met my son, Tommy, uh, sometimes eats as much as our toddler, Mercy. He is a very hungry boy when he is growing. But social media is that way. Social media before you're a bestseller is just for fun. It's not how you become a bestseller. Now, you've had your social media account since baby step one. So I'm not saying don't sign up for social media. You need to grab your name, and it's okay if you want to post every once in a while. And, of course, you know, make an announcement when your book comes out. It's a place to be found. But don't expect social media to drive sales to your book until after you've written at least one best-selling book. Once you're popular, the social networks treat you differently. Now, social media is a, an aristocratic system. There, there are two classes of people. There are the verified accounts. These are the aristocrats who get the majority of the attention. And then there are the peasants who do not have a verified account. A verified account is often denoted by having a check mark next to your name, a blue check mark. And you have to already be famous to be in the upper caste or the upper class. And it's very hard on social media to earn a check mark. You have to typically do something outside of social media to earn your verified status. Something like writing a best-selling book. <laughs> That's how you become a social media aristocrat. And once you get verified status, people treat you differently. When you tweet, people are more likely to respond. When you tweet, other verified uh, accounts are more likely to interact with you, and then suddenly your readership can grow but you have to already be able to get that verified status. And I see a lot of people who are not verified on Facebook saying, if you just do the work, if you just do the works, you, you can earn the verified status. You can become famous. Social media can do good things for you. And I just shake my head. I'm like, no, that's not the way. This is not the way. <laughs> the way is to write an amazing book that can become a bestseller, and then you get your verified status. Don't put the cart in front of the horse. So hopefully this has helped you kind of know what to do when, when it comes to building your platform. There's a time to learn to stand and a time to learn to walk. And, and each one of you are able to do something on this list, right? Maybe you're ready to start running and it's like, I want to learn how to do TV. I, I want to learn how to handle a, a TV interview. Or maybe you're like, I need to go buy my name.com or I need to figure out what my name is in the first place. Everyone knows where you're at. And if you know an author who's like, well, I don't know what to do next. This is a great episode to share with them. Our sponsor today is uh, the course Obscure No More. If you're wanting help building your platform with the specifics, how to do these things, that is exactly what I deliver in this course. I'm probably not going to talk about it too much more on the podcast. There's only 15 beta spots left. The beta students are getting the course as I make it. And if you miss out on the beta spots, I will be releasing the full course in its entirety in the fall of 2021. But if you're wanting, you can click the link in the show notes and it will either show the course is still having spots open or it will not. And that's how you'll know for those of you listening in the future if there are beta spots available to you. Our featured patron today is Amanda Wynn, author of Roots of Wood and Stone. Garrett Anderson just wanted to clean his grandmother's historic farmhouse before selling it. But his carefully ordered plans run up against two formidable obstacles. Sloan, who's fallen in love with the house and his own heart, which is irresistibly drawn towards Sloan. Amanda, thank you for being 
a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, helping keep this podcast on the air. And if you would like to become a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, you can. We'll have a link in the show notes. And if you can't afford to become a patron, but you still want to help the show, you can. Just share this episode with somebody you think would find it helpful. You've been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast. To find the blog version of this episode or to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit authormedia.com. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.